Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. It's it's not like mock game week, but it's spring showcase week. So Saturday will be the spring showcase. Swim with Mike. Lots of stuff going on on the USC campus. So we're going to talk about that. All the practices and all the buildup leading to the spring showcase. What we expect. We have Keely, you're in studio. We got Dan Weber on the line and we're loving to take your phone calls, your emails. We're going to talk all about anything you guys want to talk about here uh, on the Peristyle Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd like to call or text, the number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Please leave us some, some positive feedback on whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. If you're on iTunes, you know, five-star review, one of those cool ratings. I don't know if we have any good reviews or five-star rating, a positive review. I don't know if we have any good uh, reviews lately, but thank you guys for, for doing that and, and telling your friends about the show. We love when USC fans go out there in the world and tell their friends and wherever we go, people come up and say, you know, they'll say, yeah, I see you on the website, but the mostly they say, I listen to you guys on the podcast, on the golf course, guys, the, on uh, this weekend, someone comes up to, and asks us about teeing off, like he wanted to join our group. And he goes, wait, you're, <laughs> he said, I recognize your voice. So it's <laughs> I listen to the podcast. So it's, it's pretty funny how the podcast just reaches out there to everybody. Well, the only thing people ask me is, uh, uh, do I really know, uh, Keely, your, could they meet her sometimes? <laughs> oh That's goodness. what they all want to know. No. Yes, Keely hey, there. Keely's <laughs> fan club is just oh my goodness. There are YouTube videos. Uh, you know, there's people that respond. You know, they want Keely to be the president. You know, there's there's one guy who comments on every video. Keely for president. I wish I was like dedicated for anything in my life as much as that guy is for that comment. Yeah, he's pretty dedicated. <laughs> he is. So that's you know, that's good. Um, all right, so we got a lot to uh, to get to on the show today. We got some questions and there's some different topics I think we need to uh, address and then, you know, kind of in, coming into the season. Before we do, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, have been awesome to us over the last couple of years. Uh, we, my wife and I are going a couple of times a week now. We're getting stuff at Trader Joe's. I'm still making my favorite. I just had it this morning, my favorite post-workout breakfast with the uh, the almond butter granola mixed with some of their, their yogurt. And uh, some, was it chia seeds? My wife says to put the chia seeds in there. I guess it adds a little uh, fiber, so it's supposed to fill you up a little bit more. Interesting. And I cut little bananas and put it up in there. So it's like, not this huge monstrosity bowl, but it's awesome. And, uh, you know, we get stuff for, you know, grilled some salmon we did last night for dinner. Uh, we both love uh, going there. And, you you know, check it out if you're near USC. You know, before you go to the Spring Showcase, walk over to the USC Village. You can check out Trader Joe's over there. So I know Keely and uh, Dan are big fans, too. Very much. Yeah. Uh, yep. We, uh, I just enjoy uh, being uh, you know, shopping there and seeing all the interesting people that are actually there. And then there's so many different choices of stuff that you just haven't ever heard of before. Or it's like, oh, I'd like to try that or I'd like to try that. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's not your typical 
and I know it was picked as the what the, the the top ten or top excuse me top one uh, top grocery chain in America. But it's not like a grocery. It's not like your typical grocery store. So uh, it's worth a worth a trip. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so make sure you check out Trader Joe's. So a couple of uh, newsy topics that have uh, been sort of dominating. If you're following the the website on you know the message boards or following along on Twitter. Uh, so we kind of heard, I don't remember where I heard, but I'd heard that and we might've put something in the war room, but Lin Swan was going to fly back East at some point and do an autograph signing where you charge, uh, from $220 and up for, uh, one of his autographs. The LA times did a, a pretty big story, uh, from Patrick, uh, Herbie, uh, I believe his name is, uh, wrote the story. He was actually there. Uh, I think it was outside of DC where the, where it was. Typically, it was mostly, um, there wasn't really any USC memorabilia that he saw. He said Lin Swan, there was a lot of athletes there. Lin Swan had the longest line and it was, you know, the majority of it was Steeler fans wanted to come and get an autograph from, from Lin Swan. And uh, these, you know, these can be very lucrative for people, but I, you know, the, the criticism is, and it just didn't seem like the optics were all that great. And that's what I tweeted last night. And I got a lot of some people were mad at me. Some people were like, you know, but it, to me, the optics didn't look good that your athletic director is flying back east while this huge scandal and all this stuff is going on and going get paid to sign uh, autographs. So I don't know. Uh, Dan, maybe we'll start with you, Dan. Any thoughts uh, on this story? It's a pretty in-depth in story from the L.A. Times about what he did. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know if it's an 80-inch story, but uh, uh, I think they, they signed somebody, uh, that Patrick Ruby, I think, worked for USA Today. My guess is he still lives near there in Virginia because the, the, the uh, signing was in Chantilly, uh, Virginia. So, uh, but they actually had somebody on site who tried to get Lynn to talk to him and passed a note to Lynn because they keep you behind barriers and all of that. And, 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 and uh, if he could have an interview and said, I'm, you know, from the LA times, could I talk to you? And then evidently uh, it came back to him with the note saying, thanks for asking but I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, there wasn't any, weren't any comments from Lynn. Yeah, the timing is not good. The optics are not good at this point. I mean, and, and you know, there people have been critical about Lynn because of the golf and, you know, being at the, uh, you know, at Pebble Beach in the U.S., uh, excuse me, the, um, the L.A. Open, and Lynn and, you know, his predecessor at USC, uh, Pat Hayden, are both members of Augusta, and so... That seems to be an annual, you know, uh, tradition for USC athletic directors to go to Augusta and at a time when USC has really a lot of things, uh, you know, going and at a time when the, um, you know, the admissions uh, uh, scam with the uh, senior associate athletic director involved in uh, kind of a plot that uh, had people uh, admitted because of their uh, so-called athletic interests, which were bogus. Uh, and, you know, for the athletic director to say, you know, I was blindsided by this. Uh, the optics are probably not good when you haven't really worked out all of the things that have been, you know, happening and what your response has to be and how you're going to deal with it uh, to be going, you know, across the country. And at the same time that USC was having a, a, a retreat of their senior leaders in Santa Barbara and you're not there. 
Uh, don't know if the athletic department was represented or not. I mean, that's always been one of the criticisms at USC is that the athletic department has kind of kept itself separate uh, from the university. And uh, uh, just it's not a good look, not a good look for Lynn. And in light of the other information that came out today, I don't know if you want to want to. We'll get, yeah, we'll get the, to that in a second. Yeah. Story, uh, it it kind of lines up with the, the breaking news from the Daily Trojan about some departures in the senior administration at USC. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Keely, what, what are your is this big deal about nothing? Because some people are like, who cares? He could take a day off and he can go, you know. I know some- I'm reading the, the Twitter comments in your mentions about when you tweeted this out about Linsuan and people are like, oh, can he take a day off? And Sure, I think everyone deserves a day off, but I just—it's not a good look. It's—I agree with what Dan said. It just is not a good look when everything at USC. You're involved in a federal investigation yeah. about your department and things that were underneath you that apparently you didn't know about, and so it doesn't—it just doesn't look good. Yeah. and it's—it's it's not like you're not possibly the highest. We haven't seen those first filings yet, uh, uh, but we know Pat Hayden was the highest paid athletic director in America. And, you know, the sense is that Lynn is extremely well remunerated for that position, that that chasing after, you know, as much money as those guys get for signing autographs isn't a really good look. It just, it just doesn't look right. Doesn't feel right. No, the optics are, are awful. And uh, Dan, I know you retweeted um, Jay Billis, who tweeted about this. He says, athletic directors can sign autographs for money, but not players. An AD's son can do a national TV ad for money, but not players. Come on, let's end the charade. Let the players have the same economic rights as everyone else. So, I mean, there's that too, but it's, you know, the athletic directors in general, and this is the way, just because of what USC has gone out and hired, you don't typically, I, I would go, I would venture to guess that a lot of the nation's athletic directors aren't people that would, people would pay to fi- get their autograph or are not members of Augusta Country Club, uh, maybe some are in Georgia or something, or just because it's local. But th- that's like the very unique thing about USC, and it seems like if your athletic department is like your child, is like the child here, Lin Swan's acting more like he's an uncle than the father. You know what I mean? Like he's more of like a- involved, but he's not like that's not my whole world. You know, and that and it should be especially right now. And that's in my opinion. But here's the problem: if you hire someone for a job because they're famous because they're a celebrity, because they're honored, and, and everybody you know, wants to get a piece of them, how can you expect them not to act like that? Yeah. That's what they've done their whole lives. That's who they are. So you hire them, and then are you going to say, oh, but don't do that anymore? And they say, well, hey, that's who we are. That, that's why you hired us, isn't it? I mean, to be honest, I can't think of a single athletic director in the country who signs autographs. Or who yeah. anybody would ask for their autograph, except for USC. I mean, and I'm not sure, even in the SEC, there's ever been a case where they have concurrent back-to-back athletic directors who belong to Augusta. And I guarantee you, <laughs> there is no higher honor. If you grew up in the south, southeastern part of the United States, being a member of Augusta, that's it. I mean, you can't get it. And to think USC's got two of them. Two of them. <laughs> I, I would doubt any, uh, you know, athletic department in the Southeastern Conference has two athletic directors who are members of Augusta. It's just, USC is a different place. I mean, 
there's a celebrity culture about USC that is, is unlike anywhere else. And USC probably needs to combat that rather than feed into it. Yeah. Uh, I think you can embrace some of it. There's definitely some benefits there, yeah. but you can't, you, you're hiring someone to, to run this position and it's been poorly run for so long and you keep doing the same things over and over again. It's like, you didn't, you didn't need to hire Steve Sarkeesian after you are hired Lane Kiffin. You didn't need to hire Lynn Swan after you already failed with Pat Hayden. Like you, you went back to the well again, you know, and it's like you, do, you did the same thing twice and like shame on you after that. Like maybe the first time, I don't know, but the second time, no way. I mean, there, there's no way they should have hired Lynn Swan to be athletic director. It was like one of the dumbest moves USC's made and they've made, a lot of dumb moves. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, and you, you're right. The back-to-back mistakes. Uh, Sarkeesian following Kiffin, <laughs> unbelievable back-to-back. Same, almost, you know, same resume, same, you know, everything. I mean, yeah. circumstance. Just and then they they go ahead and do it again. Athletic director. It it is kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, you mentioned some of the other breaking news. So our thanks to the Daily Trojan who tweeted this out. I, I believe they were the first one. At least that's the first one I saw. Uh, breaking news, uh, provost and senior vice president for student affairs, Michael Quick, and senior vice president for legal affairs and professionalism, Carol Mock Amir, will retire from their positions June 30th. Interim President Wanda Austin announced in an email to the USC community. And that, that date, uh, June 30th, happens to be the day before uh, new president, Carol uh, Folt, takes over. So I, I doubt that is a coincidence to me. This seems like here's a new president coming in and make getting rid of some people at the top. I think this is like the best news USC fans could hope for. I don't know much about either of these people, but if you're going to cut your new president, come in and you don't want status quo, just have her like chop some heads off. I think that's what you want. You want them to do. Yeah. I, I think at that level, USC has been not well served uh, at that next next level of leadership uh, below the president. I I just think, you know, some things could have been headed off. Some things could have been paid attention to at that level. Uh, Some advice could have been given at that level that would have, you know, precluded USC getting in the jackpot as it has in one, you know, scandal after another. So, uh, so I think, uh, I think a very good move. I think, I think the agreement is um, for Wanda Austin or, you know, the interim term, that's why she's there to uh, handle these things before the new president comes on board. And again, you know, then the question is, what does this mean for, for Lynn Swan? Uh, I think just the logical, the logical question, uh, you know, here is uh, what, what's next? Because there's still a, you know, still a few months to go. But uh, this, is, this is good news that USC seriously wants to, uh, to get things squared away. And these are the things that haven't been happening and, and probably needed to happen before now. But uh, this is good. What do you think, Keely? Is this a good move? Or? I mean, to be honest, I'm not very familiar with these two people and their um, roles. But given what Dan has told me about them, I think it's a good thing going forward. Yeah. I just the, – the, the move itself is like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't followed – the, you know, the higher ups of the athletic, you know, not the, athletic, the, the entire, uh, you know, USC organization and what, but I think if you're going to have a president come in, when you saw Lin Swan come in, there weren't anyone, no one was leaving. Like it was, 
you just brought someone in that was going to continue whatever was going on there. USC can't continue whatever's going on there. So if you got a president to come in and go start chopping off some of the deputies, like you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Like, that's a good thing. And if you're one of the many USC fans that feels like it would be great if she came in and really started cleaning house in the athletic department too, this is a pretty good sign that that's a, at least potentially going to happen. If she comes, you know, that this is already happening now, June 30th, they're going to retire. She starts the next day. She's not going to work a day in her life with any of those people. So that's, that's planned. Yeah, and the other thing, I think, for example, uh, one of the really uh, uncovered scandals at USC, according to uh, you know national experts about the Title IX situation, that USC is the worst school in America in administering Title IX, has had the most uh, bad decisions, the most lawsuits, lost the most lawsuits. I mean, that's something that someone should have maybe been able to take their, you know, get their hands around and say, what's going on here? Why uh, are, you know, why are our Title IX situations just seem to be, you know, getting out of hand? So that, you know, reflects on, uh, on, on some of these people. And, uh, you know, when you talk about legal affairs, you know, you go all the way back to the, uh, to the response to the NCAA and, uh, you know, the decision to, to stay as far away from the Todd McNair lawsuit and all of those kinds of things. So there are things that have been bubbling underneath the surface for a good while uh, and haven't been addressed. And, you know, at last, somebody is uh, addressing it. Yeah. All right. Before we uh, jump into questions, what do you guys think of uh, what's been happening? So it's three weeks down, two weeks to go. This is like the preparation week, I guess you could say. Um, You know, Saturday they had a scrimmage sort of like question mark it wasn't scrimmage in quotation marks it wasn't exactly a scrimmage i don't know get your thoughts keely what do you think about uh what you saw this past weekend um i thought two weeks ago was a better week of practice in the sense that i felt like it was more competitive i felt like saturday's scrimmage quote-unquote scrimmage was um short 11 on 11 periods um, it's funny because Gerard Martinez came out for Saturday's practice and he's not used to uh, the practices, I guess, as much as we are. And so he was like, scrimmage? This is not a scrimmage. This is just <laughs> 11 on 11 for short times. And I was like, yeah, but this is what you kind of get. Um, so it's it felt a little short in that sense. Um, I don't know, Dan. I kind of got a meh feeling from the offense on Saturday. It wasn't very... I didn't come away like, wow, this was a great practice. It was a physical practice, but nothing really stood out to me as far as um, highlight plays or or specific players that stood out. Yeah, I mean, I think Gerard should have told him he was coming and expected a scrimmage so they would have known (laughs) what to do. I mean, he should have said, hey, you guys, tell tell everybody I'm coming and uh, I'm looking for a scrimmage. I think one of the things that's changed is, they don't need to like announce we're going to do a scrimmage and it's really going to be different from everything we do uh, in practice because their practices now, when they go 11 on 11 are much more like scrimmage and much more game condition. For example, uh, they move the ball up and down the field. Uh, they use the sidelines. They go short yardage. If it's third and two, you know, they call a third and, you know, uh, short yardage offense and defense. Uh, they go a lot more goal line. Uh, what they've done is they've incorporated a lot more scrimmage elements into every practice. So for us, that's kind of how they practice. Now for Gerard, he was coming and uh, expecting a scrimmage. 
that's kind of what they I, I'd rather they do the do it the way they're doing it so that they have the scrimmage elements every day in practice uh, more so than, you know, putting up a flag and saying, hey, we're going to scrimmage today and, you know, we're going to have officials and we're going to, uh, you know, you're going to have to get the, uh, you know, the plays off in time and, uh, you know, they're going to flag you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they've been doing that all year. So I think that's real, that's real progress. Uh, um, I can see where Gerard didn't like some of the, the run situations. Again, when you're mixing and matching, uh, and there is a drop-off clearly, you know, between the, the guys they have designated now as the, you know, the first offensive line and the rest. But uh, I think one of the places that was underplayed Saturday is they, they run a lot more goal line stuff. And I thought they ran the ball well at the goal line. One of the reasons they're running the ball well at the goal line is that uh, they're such a threat to throw the ball because they, they work much more on goal line passing. So if you're defending, you know, a, a third and two or whatever, you've got to really be ready to defend the pass because they're, they're completely not, uh, you know, afraid to throw the ball. Like last year, we had no idea what play they would come up with at the goal line. Uh, so I thought, you know, both uh, um, uh, Marquis Step and, uh, and Vi Malapai have been really effective, uh, you know, in goal line running. They still have to get more physical. They still have to get more explosive, more, more powerful, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but I think if you, ever, if you ever go game condition, the one thing that would help them is the run is going to be set up by the pass. And if you're, you know, defending this team, you have to defend the, the pass first. Last year, basically, people just shut the run down, and they knew the pass offense wasn't good enough. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case this year. You have to uh, figure out how to stop the, you know, the pass. And if you do that, I think they're going to be able, you know, to run on you. So, you know, I wasn't uh, as, uh, as, as disconcerted, you know, as some people were. And I, I also thought they decided they were going to give Keaton Slovis uh, the feature role. I mean, he got the, you know, he got the most snaps, he got the most throws. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a case of, you went with the first team offense, let's say, all the way through. So, uh, so I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that discouraged at all. I thought they worked hard. Uh, I thought it was decent, decently physical, and uh, you know, I think the defense is is uh, is coming hard, and 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 not, you know, giving giving them anything. It's certainly, uh, uh, you know, up front. So, so I, I kind of had a, probably a different opinion than some people. What do you guys think the showcase is going to be like? Is it going to be Really, nothing but basically what you saw last Saturday. Like, I feel like it's just going to be the same of what we've seen each Saturday. Yeah, and I like that. I like it that they're not. This is who we are. This is how we teach it. This is how we go about it. Um, and uh, I think that I think they're going about it the right way. Uh, you know, and um, one thing we won't know because we're not going to get in a normal or the way it used to be. We get to talk to Clay today and we would say what's saturday going to be like but we're only going to get the offense and you know the coordinators we're not going to get clay uh until after uh saturday's showcase so i think we're going to kind of have to guess so i would tell gerard not to guess scrimmage okay <laughs> just a thought but they're going to get an hour on the uh pac-12 network so they're going to have to put something although last year 
you know, that was the case last year. And I don't know that they actually put something together uh, that looked like it was uh, a, quote, showcase event for the Pac-12 network. So how that works this year, I don't know. I, I would think, you know, a couple of their their 11-on-11 periods will be uh, during the hour that they're on the Pac-12 network. But, uh, but I think we're guessing. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, that Dan raised in our instant analysis on Saturday is at some point in spring, do you think that USC is going to start to trend to where they're going to go with their depth chart? Maybe not giving Keaton Slovis first team reps on a scrimmage Saturday, maybe trend towards maybe JT or whatnot. Um, and the funny thing is that people in my mentions, you know, I, I talked about Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink. On, I tweeted about it and people were like, well, where's JT? No one ever talks about JT, which... We've talked about JT, but I think it's also indicative of where the quarterback battle, quote unquote, battle is. It, it kind of just feels like JT, even though the battle is still happening, is just has been the guy and is the guy. Yeah, I think the battle has been more two, three, four. Yeah, and and what order, and where, how far can Keaton, you know, Slovis go as a freshman, and and you know, and what's happening with uh, with Jack Sears, and I think that's where you know the focus is to some extent. Now, I, I think they clearly need, you'd like to see, uh, you know, some mechanics, uh, you know, with, uh, with JT and some of the, you know, I've clearly worked on, uh, you know, footwork and, and a lot of things, but, uh, but as much of that as he can get, you know, I think you know, that's a good thing, but uh, it, I, I don't think it looks like that there's a battle for number one. I just, you don't, get that feeling uh but i mean you get the feeling that, that matt fink looks like he's in a really better place right now uh that keaton slovis is is uh is clearly on the upside of all those people who said just because he wasn't you know highly ranked or whatever that he was that guy that kurt warner said this kid can play and he looks like he can and what does that mean for for jack sears I think those are the questions, you know, that that have come out of the spring so far. The answers we've got a little bit. Well, should we jump into questions, Keely? We can. Uh, we have a question from Mark from Fresno who says the practice vibe seems much different this year. Harold is the biggest change. Was T. Martin just not a dynamic coordinator? Was last year's offense a result of his personality, organizational skills, and an ability to? to communicate and a more mismatch of clay and everyone else having their hands in it. In your opinion, was clay so involved because T didn't have the skills he really needed? That's a really good question. And I don't know that we'll ever be able to completely differentiate all the issues that went into it. Uh, I, I do think there had been kind of a tradition that, uh, you know, that, that they all kept, you know, Lane kept a little bit of Pete and Sark and, and, and Lane were kind of coming from, you know, similar places, but they each had their own, uh, you know, situation. And, and, and Clay had been an assistant to both of them. So you had this kind of, and I, I just, Clay, or, uh, T. Martin was the one who named it, the gumbo, uh, you know, mobile guy, you know, from down the Gulf, you know, Mexico. He was a gumbo guy. Uh, and I don't know if we asked T now, he might have been disparaging a little bit the fact that it was all of those elements thrown into the pot. And uh, with, uh, you know, with, say, um, um, Tyson Helton as a sort of a passing coordinator and, 
all of the different elements, Clay still, you know, involved having been the play caller and the quarterback's coach and all of that. I don't think we ever, there was ever a clear delineation. And, and then you had the issue where T, T Martin was the uh, wide receivers coach. So when they're doing the, you know, specialty, uh, in, you know, in each classroom uh, position group, he wasn't in there with the quarterbacks. So it was kind of not, not a, a well-managed, uh, you know, situation. And uh, I just think what they were trying to do didn't work well at all with their uh, talent. And so everything was difficult. Nothing was easy. And it didn't work well with the way they practiced. You know, the idea that last year's team could be a run-first team, the way they practiced the run, the way they, way they uh, you know, were physical in practice, the way they hit, the way they, you know, just the amount of times they – they wore full pads and all that. Uh, it was kind of, I think, doomed from the, from the outset in terms of, of being able to work. And, and let's face it, so much of what worked well for Sam Darnold was when the play breaks down, Sam will make something happen. And that's when USC got an advantage because Sam would, would especially uh, you know, a year ago, uh, his, his first year, he – would beat the whoever was you know the first wave of, of defenders if they rushed or blitzed or whatever. Sam would beat them, turn up field, and then USC would have a numerical advantage. And he kept the play live long enough for receivers to you know to get open. But it wasn't always a case of it was the designed offense that worked, but it was the improvised offense. And the more they had to go last year to just the design offense, because uh, I think uh, clearly Sam you know, had some injury issues and teams started figuring some things out. Um, USC didn't have an offensive play design uh, that would work. And so then they get to a, a, a freshman quarterback who wasn't even here in the spring. And that life was really difficult. And then, you know, so many plays started with bad snaps. I mean, it was just, you know, to try to say it was this or it was that. It was a whole lot of things and not any of them. Uh, you know, working all that well for USC uh, in terms of the offense. So, and, and maybe T wasn't wasn't the person uh, or the personality, uh, you know, to put that all, you know, put it all together, bring it all together. I mean, it just didn't work uh, for all the reasons that it didn't work. We actually kind of a follow up that a voicemail I'll play for you, Dan. But man, I I just feel weird when people everyone's blaming T Martin. It's not like T Martin came in and said here's my playbook and here's the offense I want to run. He was running whatever this gumbo thing that they had put together. It was just, there wasn't a cohesive plan. It's just like when people blame JT Daniels for the offense being bad last year. It's like, that's not his fault. Like it's, this was a horrible plan. You're going to see an offense with an identity now. And you're going to see an offense that instead of just relying on athletes making big plays, they actually can move the ball down the field and they can actually move the chains. It just, they, the offense wasn't efficient. And I, I, I have a hard time blaming T Martin for any of that. That, that was way yeah. above his pay grade. I thought. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it was just, and what they tried to do. And I think it's really interesting that now uh, I got like Tim Drevin says, we're not doing this, but what they tried to do was they said, okay, those plays aren't working or that isn't work. Let's add some more. Let's try <laughs> this way. Or let's do this way. Or let's do, and it was like, adding more things that you couldn't do well to yeah. things you already weren't doing well. Uh, and he's like refreshed at the idea of, wow, 
you really know, here's what we are. Here's who, what we do. Here's who we are. Here's how we do it. And we're going to keep working at it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And we're going to do it better than you can stop it. Uh, he said, wow, that's kind of, you know, because he'd been a lot of places. And, and, you know, obviously he coached with Jim Harbaugh at so many different levels. And he's like, wow, this is kind of refreshing to do it this way. Uh, so, you know, there just wasn't anybody there last year who just said, you know, let's tear out all the, all the junk out of the playbook and let's get the things we can do well and let's figure out what we can do well. And with the offensive line playing the way we're playing last year, that was hard. That was really hard to figure out what was it that they could do well. And, again, you know, you had a, a quarterback right out of high school who hadn't been here in the spring. Uh, they didn't even know what necessarily they could do well with him. But it never, it just never went together. But, yeah, to try to personalize it and say it was T or it was JT Daniels or we – uh-uh, that, you're completely right, Ryan. That was, that's not the way to go. Yeah, here's, here's the voicemail, too, to follow it up. There might be some overlap, but I'll play it for you. Hey, guys, I uh, just wanted to ask a question, but I first want to say that I affectionately refer to you guys as my opinion pimps. I always tell my wife, hey, i got to go listen to my opinion pimps. But, hey, one of the questions is, you know, we talk about all the differences. I've listened to Dan talk and about the differences in practice and, I'm wondering if maybe you can address this or if you've already alluded to it, that maybe T. Martin, there was some kind of a coup or the players had more – he had more influence over the players and they just weren't buying in before because they were looking to him for answers and Clay was just kind of uh, cut out of that leadership role in some way. Maybe the other offensive line guy was just kind of – Everybody working, conspiring against it. Maybe you can just address that a little bit if you got a chance, if you think that was a possibility. And now that those individuals are removed, it's more of a um, they see Clay as the head coach and he has the authority now um, to make those calls. So uh, maybe that led to some of the players' disagreement and kind of jumping into the portal. But anyway, just wanted to ask that question. Again, you guys are my poverty pimps, and uh, I appreciate every bit of it. And excuse me, my opinion pimps, and uh, you helped me out. So, all right, thank you. Bye now. Opinion oh, pimps. I think that's. Uh, I appreciate. You know, here's an opinion. Uh, the, the opinion would be that uh, I don't think it was personal, and I don't think it was intentional. I think people saw what they were trying to do wasn't working. And maybe wasn't going to work. And the way they were going at it in practice wasn't going to help them get there. So rather than working against it, it was they couldn't work for it because they knew it was, I mean, they knew better than we did. I mean, they had to, you know, sit through it. They knew they were, you know, grasping at straws to some extent and, uh, and, and, and adding things that, you know, they were going to try to do, weren't perfecting things, weren't physical enough to make them happen. Uh, so I think it's the kind of thing that just happens when you, when you're trying to do things that you can't do with the players you've got. And even if you maybe could have done them, you're not working hard at them or you're not believing in them enough, uh, you know, to make it happen. So, you know, it was a combination of all of those things. Uh, having, I think, I think the thing that moves Clay up the most this year is he stepped out and said, 
the thing we have to do is bring in somebody like, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury to start and then Graham Harrell. And we need to have an offense focused on what the skill sets of our talent happen to be and what we can perfect. And we're going to go a completely different direction. So for that, I would think the players say, good on you, uh, bringing in Graham Harrell and kind of, you know, getting out of the way and going a direction that we think we can see, we can describe what we're trying to do now that we couldn't before. We have a focus. We have, we have a plan that we think we can perfect and we can work at it every day in practice and we can kind of measure whether we're getting better at it. None of that happened last year. Uh, so, so I don't think it was any, you know, just specific guys who, you know, were working against the program or the plan. It, it just was the way things happen. It was not possible to be for the plan because the plan didn't make any sense and neither did the way they, uh, they, way they executed it or the way they, you know, developed it, prepared it, practiced it. And so you had what you had, you had, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, first half against Notre Dame. They got more focused and, you know, worked a little, you know, a little better. They still, you know, made mistakes and what have you. But uh, uh, it was so uh, hit or miss. And that's what it looks like they've decided we can't be hit or miss. We can't be let's pick it up on the fly uh, and hope it works. And we can't have, you know, six people with input. Uh, We just got to – I mean, nobody now is looking and saying, huh, I wonder what Lane Kiffin would do in this situation or what did Steve Sark? No, that, 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 those are completely whatever was, was being done. It couldn't be farther from the, uh, from the picture right now. It's just because it, it, it's of no value and it's of no help. And it's not even the least thought about. And that wasn't the case before. All right. Uh, where do you <laughs> want to go, Keely? We have another uh, practice related question. Jarrett says, can you guys name and talk about a few guys that you think will make an impact next season that we have never seen at the college level with the exception of special teams? No pallet EAs or marquee steps. Uh, Does solo count? Solomon Tuliolapupu? They've never seen him on the call? Except for the fact we haven't ever seen him (laughs) ourselves in practice. (laughs) Other once. He had one really good practice. Uh, he might be one. Yeah, you're literally, he literally, we haven't seen. If you come to every practice, you haven't seen him. So, uh, uh, he'd be an interesting one. He's got, he looks like he's got the makeup and, and the athletic, athletic ability, uh, and the size and everything else. So he does look like he belongs out there. If he can get himself, uh, you know, 100% healthy, I think you're absolutely right. I think another guy who's got, if you stand next to Isaac Taylor Stewart, 6'2", 205, I may be the most explosive guy on the team. I mean, he has, he's got an NFL plus uh, body. I mean, he's got, you look at him and say, wow, this kid, uh, now if he gets it all figured out and, and can do, you know, what they want him to do, he's really uh, an impressive looking football player athletically. So uh, that's, He's the kind of guy that's got to come through, I think, for USC. But uh, he, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a kid we haven't really seen do what he can do. But if we do, uh, 
he can make he could be a big difference uh, for this team. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's a tough one. Oh, Solomon Tulealpupu was there like the first day, right? Yeah. I think it was yeah. the first practice that he like batted a couple of balls. It was um, impressive. It was, it was impressive. impressive. For showing, but that never. Well, I think he got one practice in pads, didn't he? Where he yeah. he he had a couple of real big hits, moved well. You know, look. I mean, he he looks like an NFL linebacker. I mean, he's just he's a big, strong, athletic kid who seems got have you know very physical. Uh, very naturally, uh, physically talented, you know, delivers the blow, keeps himself square, doesn't under overrun plays and all that. I mean, he looks, he looks like a player. Yeah. Uh. Ryan, anyone standing out to you? I mean, from afar, you haven't been to practice for a while. Uh, I'm going to go out there today. Um, no, I think that would have been that. I think probably that one. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, this is tough. You, what do you, you the think? bound, the, the boundaries of, They've never seen them. It's hard to to do. Yeah, you know, because of course. You know, I'll you, I'll, uh, this is the one, obviously, too. Ben Griffiths. Okay. Be fun True. Because Ben, the punter, Ben Griffiths. We don't know exactly always where the ball is going to go. On, on the pooch punts, I think he's got really good control. When he turns it loose, we're not sure uh, exactly always where it's going to go, but. Uh, He's got the chance, you know, the, the, to flip the field. He's got a chance to be the weapon. He's got a chance to, you better catch the ball. And it's not an easy ball to catch because if, if you don't catch it, it's going to, you know, it's going to roll and roll and bounce and, and, and what have you. So I think there will be a different attitude when USC punts the ball. People are going to be like, ooh, let's see what's going to happen here. And that will be kind of fun. I mean, uh, uh, so I think, I think nobody's seen him. So he will be also in that group, I think. And, and there's some guys that you've probably seen a little of, like uh, Devin Williams or whatever, like that you've seen some that could have a pretty big impact. Maybe I don't know if that's in the vein. He said no special teams too, by the way, in the question. But I think I think even that we haven't seen them on special teams, meaning they can be on special teams. Oh, still, oh okay. I think they he meant like in their regular position. We haven't seen. Okay. Yeah. The thing about Devin Williams is that he needs to get more consistent, you know, and that was his scouting report coming out of high school was that he just wasn't consistent. He'd have great plays, but then he'd, he'd be a little wavery. So. Yeah. A little wavery. I think, the thing in this offense, I think the thing in this offense is they run enough stuff, run enough patterns, they, they do enough in practice that you have a chance to get past that. You know, when you're, when you're not running a lot of plays, uh, if you, you know, a drop here or there is really a big deal. I don't know that it's quite as big a deal. Uh, and I don't think this is the kind of team that when it gets third and a little bit longer than, than you'd like, feel like they're really up against it. I think that they, they, you know, throw the ball naturally, uh, to so many different places and, and different people that I think the attitude is going to be, we're in, we're still in pretty good shape, uh, you know, if it's third and seven or third and eight or whatever, as opposed to, boy, I hope we get something here, uh, which will help, I think, Devin Williams just, you know, being out on the field more. I, I thought it really hurt him not to be on, on the field as much last year, and, and he'll be on the field, you know, significantly more this year. So I think it'll, I think that'll really help him. What about like a Brett Nealon? Like, could, yeah, would he count? That's, that's, yeah, I think that's a great call. 
Wow, Keely complimented yeah. me. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, having yeah. it's sad that you have to say this, but having consistent snaps is going to be a, a huge game right. changer. I mean, going you're going to see that every play, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be a game changer, but uh, like, unfortunately, at USC, some things that we you would just expect uh, are uh, are game changers, uh, and that that would be one to you know start every play with the ball exactly where where the quarterback needs it to be. Yeah. 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 Oh, all right. Well, that was a good one. Who was that? That was from uh, Jared. Jared. Thanks, Thanks Jared. Jared. Uh, we have a question from Dan, class of 1962. He says, in checking out the Coliseum renovation progress, it appears that the seats on the left and right sides of the tower cannot view the entire field. Was the USC School of Ar- Architecture involved in this design? And if not, why not? This would be a great learning opportunity and resume item for USC student architects. Also, are the temporary stands where the bands where the band sits going to remain in place? And if they do, how is that a design upgrade? The exterior of the stadium, with the exception of the peristyle, looks the same and outdated. Is there a total design improvement concept for the entire building? What is your take on the overall design when compared to other recent stadiums? USC can't compete with the Rams' new stadium, but they should be able to match with what is being done in other college stadium upgrades like Texas A&M, Alabama, and even Iowa. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Uh, Dan, where to start? Uh, yeah, they're not going to do anything in the end zones, which uh, I think is a mistake, but we do think we've obviously tried to influence them over a year and a half or so. I think the one place we might is trying to convince them that they have to do something with the end zone and the possibility of turning uh, the peristyle plaza into a standing room plaza. I think is, I think that's a, a real possibility um, so that you can handle, you know, if you're going to go down to 77,500 capacity, you just need to be able to handle the UCLA crowd, the Notre Dame crowd, the uh, Stanford crowd, if it's going to, you know, decide to pack 12 or whatever. And uh, they don't have a way to do that right now. And so I think that's, that's one way of doing it. That's what, uh, you know, the new Ram stadium is going to, uh, you know, going to have. And uh, the, um, you know, AT&T in, in Texas, that's what they've got the ability to, you know, stand 10 or 15,000, maybe 20,000 people. Uh, so I think that might happen. I think you're right about the, uh, uh, you know, of all the things we kept trying, we tried everything. We did sort of get uh, behind the scenes, the U, uh, USC architecture, some people involved a little bit. I think there was a little hesitancy, though. There's kind of a professional courtesy thing, and um, and people just didn't want to appear to, uh, you know, denigrate the design. Uh I think it's one of the the major flaws in bringing that uh, bringing that building all the way down to row 45, and bringing it you know like the front of the the press box is going to be 120 feet closer to the field, and you know you can say well for some situations that's good like there's uh, the boxes for the uh, founders will be you know close enough to throw a baseball hit the field. Uh, the downside is is there's people in the sections next to them aren't going to be able to see the near end zone, for example, at the other end. And, uh, and that's kind of a negative. If you've got areas that would normally support good seats, you can't, and I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to put seats there and sell them as obstructed seats? Are they going to put nothing there? Are they just going to leave it, you know, leave it dirt? What's going to be there? 
I don't think we know the answer to that, but uh, but it looks like there's at least six sections, um, two completely and four more uh, partially that are going to be obstructed, and uh, on on either side of the, uh, of the of the tower, and, and that's just. I mean, I don't know that there's another stadium in America or in the world where you have, you know, seating areas right in the middle of the stadium uh, that can't be used. Uh, nobody's ever done some of the things that USC is doing in terms of the, you know, the renovation of the Coliseum. So, uh, uh, you know, this is not, I, I think they could have gone other ways. I think, uh, you know, if it would have been me, the thing I think you would have done was to, to tie both parts of your question together, you take what the University of Texas is going to do. They're going to spend like $175 million on a separate end zone club, like with a restaurant and, uh, you know, a rooftop uh, viewing area and, you know, high-end uh, boxes that are practically on the field. USC could have done that, and they wouldn't have had to tear out those 10,000 seats. And they wouldn't have had to you know, turn the stadium into a construction area last year. You could have done that, uh, you know, with the work strictly separate on the end zone and you wouldn't have to tear the field up and all that kind of thing, um, kind of the way they've done now. Obviously, it's great to replace all the aisles and the, put in handrails and, and deeper rows and wider seats and, and, you know, upgraded Wi-Fi again and concession stands and all of those things, though, that should have been done in the previous 90 years uh, that weren't done. So I think those are two different areas. I think the renovation is great. The redesign, probably uh, not nearly so great. But uh, just my two cents worth. You know, I got a, um, I had dinner last night with a buddy who USC uh, architect graduate and, uh, you know, talk, bringing up some of the points and he had agreed on a lot of the things I said. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm no architecture expert or major or anything like that. Uh, but you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if USC hired an architecture firm that actually specialized in large stadiums? He said, yes, that would be preferred. You know, there's, there's certain firms that are really good at, at certain things. You're like, Oh, I need a, uh, you know, you want some kind of outdoor mall or something like there's people that, you know, specialize in that or schools or whatever. And, uh, USC did not pick a, a you know, architecture firm that was an expert in doing, stadiums and and then i brought up you know like putting a building in the middle of a stadium there's a re is there a reason like no one's ever done that before it's like a you think he was you know so he agreed with all that stuff it's like just common sense things like usc is very good at making the wrong that you know the, the decision that goes against what common sense would tell you and this is just another example of that like hiring a firm that doesn't specialize in this kind of thing or doing a design that no one's ever done before like yeah maybe it's gonna be Good, but you probably not, I would guess. Well, and, and one of the sad things is there are three major firms in the United States, basically the three best firms in the world, pretty much, at, at designing large stadiums. One of whom is headed, the head architect for stadiums is a USC graduate. Uh, <laughs> you know, you had resources. You had resources out there, which, again, it follows, I mean... People have said, why didn't USC do a better job defending themselves with the NCAA? Didn't anybody talk to the people at Annenberg? Uh, of course not. Why would they do that? You know, I mean, it's just, there, there are just things that USC just doesn't seem to have done. 
uh, especially when it involves athletics. Athletics kind of goes their own way for years. I mean, that's been the tradition at USC. And there might be a time where you need to be a little more collegial and draw. I mean, I, I think once you got the, let's say, the first uh, draft of the redesign, you go over and you get a committee at, at the USC uh, you know, School of Architecture and say, what do you guys think about this? What's this look like? Does this work? I don't think that ever happened. And this is the result. I mean, it's kind of the USC thing to not get a second opinion. It's kind yeah. of just, we know what we're doing and this is what we do. Yeah, make a decision and then just, it doesn't matter what anyone else said. And don't ask anybody because they're going to tell you no. You know, like, would Lynn Swan ask anyone, hey, do you think we should retain Clay Hilton? No, because he doesn't want, he knows what the, everyone's going to say. The USC just does this all the time. They make an unpopular decision for whatever internal reasons they have. And the decision comes down and everyone's like, just walks away. They don't want to hear any, you know, uh, second opinions, like Keeley said, they don't want to hear uh, anything contrary to what they just believe it should be. And they know if they talk to people, they would be told no. So it's like, you know, someone says, you know, oh, my tooth is hurting. And you're like, oh, I don't want to go to the dentist. I don't want to get the bad news. It's like, you don't want to ask anybody around you, like, what's going on here? Because they'll know everyone is going to tell you, no, don't do that. That would be dumb. But no, we're going to do it anyway. Well, and, and the standard response has been, how dare you ask that question? Who are you? You know, and it's like, okay. I mean, you would think. I mean, normally you would like you would say, "Oh wow, that's a good question. Let's 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 see about that. Let's ask. Is there another way we could do this or whatever?" And it's like, you know, they were told two years ago about all those block seats. It just acted like it didn't matter. It does, and there there were other solutions that they just didn't want to hear. Yeah. And, and they, they, made, they made the decision the wrong way. They decided Texas A&M had, had wanted to expand their stadium. They have a triple-deck stadium unlike anything else in the country. And Texas A&M said we couldn't find somebody to uh, underwrite the entire expansion, so we went out and we tried to find founders who we would ask for $10 million. And they, they came up with 12 of them. And what they did was with the triple-deck, they had neither, none of the decks are so long. They're like 30 some rows a piece. And so they decided they would hang the boxes for those founders underneath the second deck, which put them only maybe 30 rows from the, uh, from the field. So USC goes around and they said, Oh, that's a good way to raise money. And so they went out and promised all of the founders that they would give them boxes, the closest humanly possible uh, to the field. So they started with that premise. That meant they had to build this giant building in order to go all the way down to the row, row 45. And, and they had to take out 10,000 seats in order to live up to the promise. Uh, and USC did really well. They doubled 23 uh, of Founders Suites to Texas A&M's 12. So they did really well selling Founders Suites. And with the promise, we'll put you as close as possible uh, you know, to the field. But without considering what else that would do, what, out, what damages that would do in taking out 10,000 seats and dropping that giant building, I mean, there's no reason for that building to have to be that big other than the fact they needed to figure out a way how to get those boxes down to row 45. So 
you know, it, it was a bad decision process. It, it, they started with the wrong answer. And, and you know, they, th- they will still tell you, hey, it helped us raise that money. Look at all those <coughs> founder suites that we sold. And it was easy. And you think, but was that the right, you know, thing to be doing first is to figure out what's the easiest way to raise this money. That, and that's why you have the building that you have. They decided what, not what was the best building, what was the best look, what was the best for everybody, you know, all the USC family, for what was the best uh, thing for the Coliseum. No, they decided what was the best way to raise that money probably a theme here yeah. <laughs> for USC over these last few years as to where things have gone off the rails. Yeah. Well, we have one final question. One, one. Okay. And it is from Dan class of 1962 again. Oh, uh, he yeah, says right. sports at USC has always cut across all academic areas because of the varied interest of USC athletes. It was great to be in a class with Don Zaykick kicker of the 1961 team and others with whom I was a regular student with and could talk academics and sports. The new university president has to describe a vision for the university that puts sports into this total school experience perspective and get rid of the every school department being its own for fundraising. Some things like sports and school aesthetics cross all school departments. Don't the deans and department heads get together with the president to set total school budgets? Thanks, Dan, for your always great analysis of USC as a whole. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, I think you're exactly right that 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 the bigger USC has got gotten and the most more successful in the last uh, you know 50 60 years since you know Dan's been there. I think it has made it easier for everybody to have their own little fiefdom yeah. and you know stay in their own little area and not listen to you know other people because your area is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough and you don't need anybody else it appears so yeah if the new president could kind of create this sense of of, of really a family uh, a usc family and i know from having uh you know come here and and basically started out covering um, ucla for basketball and usc for football and how much more it felt like the right place for me at usc because of the the private school family and all of that, and that the the major state school Leviathan that UCLA was with all the bureaucracy and all that, just it didn't have the same feel. Uh, I think USC <clears throat> is getting a little closer to that big, you know, monstrous, you know, uh, school. I mean, it's the largest employer in Los Angeles, for example, now, and it's a big driver of, of much of what's going on. And you know, the, the uh, you know, figure out a corridor. USC is responsible for that, that that's come to life the way it has, um, you know, from downtown out to the campus. And, and USC is so much a part of it. And it, and it does get to become this, uh, you know, almost ungovernable uh, thing, uh, which is why, for example, in the whole Coliseum redesign and renovation, as much as we tried to stop it, we couldn't find anybody in charge, yeah. who was exactly like, well, if you get to this person or this person or this, it was like the Wizard of Oz behind like, the curtain. Like there was nobody that was running it, you know. Yeah, it just was running itself. It was like there's nothing you can do, and you thought, holy, that's not a good way to probably do things. Uh, but it was very difficult to find anyone who was exactly in charge, which seems to be carrying over 
to a number of the other scandals. It's like, well, who was supposed to be in charge here? Who was watching the shop? Who was, and it's not easy to pin it down. Yes, he's got to figure out how to do that and do it. And yet not in a big bureaucratic way with layers and layers of administrators, but in a real way where you really are, you know, responsible, uh, you know, for your area. And, and <coughs> like right now, <coughs> I don't know you can find <coughs> excuse me, anybody in the athletic department who would say uh, for the Coliseum, yeah, that's, that was our call. I mean, it's like, whose call was it? Uh, it just, it just got called. Yeah. And now we have to deal with it. And it's like, yeah, everyone we talked to, to was strange. Like they were defending it. They would give us the reasons why it was the decisions were made, but no one was like, I don't think anyone knew where it came from. They were just given the marching orders of like, here's what you say. Like we, you know, Coliseum hasn't been renovated for 90 years. We needed to do something. We needed, and we could, we weren't allowed to do this. And you know, that's all we were getting, but it just never seemed to get to the, you know, the person. So like, we never got to talk to anyone. We talked to high uh, people that were, you know, direct, the direct knowledge of how this decision came down. It was very strange how this all worked. And even I think at the point Lynn Swan came in, he like wiped his hands. It was like, no, that happened before I got here. So it was like somebody made a decision, like left if it was Pat Hayden or, you know, whatever it was, and then just kind of move on from it. It was very strange. Yeah, you just wish somebody would have said, okay, there's this vacuum of leadership. I'm going to step in here and take, but maybe that's, that's just not what you do and take the chance that you'll fail and you'll be gone. You know, I mean, it's just maybe easier to just sit back and if somebody, if it's, there's going to be a screw up, it's not going to be you. And maybe you don't rise. I, I think it's pretty obvious. You don't rise to the, the top and, you know, big organizations, if you screw up or if you take responsibility for anything where there might be a screw up and, uh, nobody seemed to, and now you've got what you got and, uh, you know, and the negatives are going to be there and and no one, you know, figured out how to, how to, you know, is there another way to do this? Uh, can we rethink this? What if we did this or just, that just didn't happen. And, uh, in a lot of areas, it kind of with the USC offense, if you wanted to, <laughs> to take an example last year, it just, it, it was like, who was responsible? There was nobody like responsible for it. Exactly. It yeah. just happened. It's been the USC way. All right. Well, you know, maybe some good signs from Carol Fult uh, going forward. You're already seeing a couple, uh, you know, the provost and basically she's, I guess, uh, general counsel is that the the, the description is like on the legal side so uh, a couple of those people are, are gone maybe, maybe there'll be some more changes but maybe positive signs maybe for usc ahead they could use something uh positive but we'll see but hey guys thanks for uh we're gonna head out to practice thanks for coming on the show i enjoyed it very much and it was a good discuss- interesting discussion that maybe needs to happen more about usc right now yeah um, well, new leadership coming in, 
Keely, you cool with everything? Hopefully. You know, sometimes it just seems like if we go towards a certain direction, it, it people might think we're too negative. But some, right. some things need to be said sometimes. There, There's people that think you're too negative and then too positive. Like, oh, the, the team looked good at practice. You guys are, what are you doing out there? They're terrible, you know. Yeah. You can't. I, think the, I think the general thrust is today, for example, is what can USC do to get better outcomes and to be governed better and to be, you know, where, where you have a real sense of what's going on and, and getting the best result for USC. I think that's the only thing, you know, we're thinking about is what can you do, you know, to get to that place where you, where you need to get to and, and, and to avoid, you know, the things that have happened in the last decade that you just think, Oh my, you can't, you can't let those keep happening. So, you know, I don't think that's a, a really negative way to look at it. I think that's a positive way to say, what can we do here to, to get USC moving in the most positive direction? All right, that's Dan Weber, Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have uh, Tunnel Vision on Wednesday night. Should be a fun show. Make sure you check that out. And, of course, all the content leading up to Saturday's uh, Spring Showcase. So thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 